and it was a VBS Sunday, and I just remember watching all of the kids up on stage so on fire for Jesus, and I just knew that is where, this is where we needed to be. One of my favorite memories is I like the um, Fuel Late Nighter app. At VPS, I like playing games. I like going to Spring Hill in 321. One of my clearest memories of church is, is when our daughter Lydia was diagnosed with a brain tumor. It was absolutely amazing in terms of the support and the love. We felt the prayers, we felt everything from so many different people, people we never people we never never knew were offering to bring us meals. On a rough Saturday afternoon, a, a couple from this church that we had never previously met dropped off a book and a card. It was the right thing at the right moment, and that's just the people of community. The heart of the people of community is why we love this place. We talked about wanting to find a church that offered a good youth group, and um, as a public school teacher, I wanted to have some connection with my students outside of school in a Christian way. One of my favorite uh, experiences here has been uh, my time serving as a uh, high school youth leader. Um, it was uh, just a great way to get to know more people in the church as well as their kids and see their progression um, and their faith towards Christ. I love the um, Sunday school when I was younger. All the teachers were like super nice. My favorite memory was Bible school. I love the children's ministries and activities that they have here for kids. I love the way the church as a whole continues to look for new opportunities to serve. Being at church with a lot of kids is fun. When we come to Jesus' house and celebrate him. I learned about the Bible. God. I've learned about the Bible too. We didn't know that the people we'd get to know would become family to us. I've learned to love others and show God's love to others. Same. <laughs> I learn about what Jesus what Jesus did and what happened to him when one of the disciples betrayed him. I want to be like not just a VBS helper but a VBS leader. I would like to do some of the youth group trips and some of the venture trips and I just want to keep having fun at, on Bible, at Bible school. I also believe that the leadership in the church are doing a lot of praying, trying to figure out where God wants us to go. We're both really excited for the direction that this church has, has been heading, and it's been heading for a while. You know, you see the the, um, the staff and, and where their you know where their heart is is leading them, and, and it's just really exciting to see uh, what the next opportunities are. I would like to be maybe a VBF leader, being maybe a fuel or VBS leader, um, be the pastor. <laughs> just kidding. I hope that the church continues to find ways to reach people that don't have a church home, that haven't heard about Jesus Christ, to realize what the integrity of the leaders of this church, um, the, you know, the youth leaders and the Sunday school teachers and, you know, Jen and Mo and the pastors. I guess my hope for community in the future would be that it continues to be a place that everyone feels welcome. Andrew, nice job on the videos. Uh, Kurt is doing a lot of the inviting and interviewing, but Andrew's the artistic presence behind all that. So thank you. <clears throat> um, hey, if you ever get a chance to sit in the front row, you can tell the pastors to move over, but someone needs to sit in front. Everyone should have the experience of sitting in front of the Snope ladies. Over here, they, you guys are, um, you ladies are amazing. 
Um, all, all, well, the only three out of the four, only three out of the four today, but Bruce, I'm sorry. I mean, your voice I'm sure is great, but they're like angels. Um, let me offer prayer. Uh, Bill Rigg, who's one of our missionaries, he met with the staff this morning and he, he goes in prayer. He thanked God for prayer. And he said, Lord, when we pray, we put you between us and our stuff. And when we don't pray, our stuff is between us and you. So let's get God between us and our stuff before we hear from him. Lord, courage. Courage to let you do with us what you will. That's what we want. And if we don't want it, we want to want it. And if we don't want to want it, we want to want to want it. Lord, it's hard walking with you. Um, this is a long journey of faith. Uh, anyone who starts it is pretty sure they're going to arrive pretty quick. But anyone who's been on the road for a while, we know that it's a long, long road. We bless you for that. And Lord, for me this morning, I ask that you give me the words to speak, the demeanor to speak them, clarity of mind, so that whatever is said to your people, it's you saying it, not me. Lord, this isn't my message for them, it's your message for us. So help me as I speak to listen as well. And Lord, if there's something you have planned to say that, that I haven't thought of, make it burn within me and I will share it with your people this day. We pray this in the name of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. <clears throat> um, I'm going to start off with a story to kind of help us get our minds right. I have no idea if the story is true. I have no idea if, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if the characters, I don't, know, I don't know if it's true at all. I mean, some of these preaching illustrations, there once was a lady, um, I don't know, but it's funny, and it makes a point, and I hope you'll see both. Uh, Middle-aged woman, the, I am one, I'm not a middle-aged woman, but I'm that age. Whenever you're, I don't know if you know this, but when middle age is always 10 years away from where you are, you either think it's 10 years ahead of you, or you look back and you go, I, I missed middle age. So she's been recently widowed uh, a couple years prior. Her husband had, had uh, he, he'd worked hard and she had been a, a, a stay-at-home mom, and, uh, but he had he'd done the insurance stuff well. He had made a pretty good living. So she, her house was paid for. She had a nice car. And he left her something else that she carried around with her on a regular basis. We're going to talk about that. She, uh, she was getting groceries one day, and I don't know if they were paper bags or if they were plastic bags, but she had four bags in her arms, and she was walking out of the grocery store, the Kroger or the Winn-Dixie or whatever. It was a large city, but she, she's walking out, and her purse is over her shoulder, and, and, and she looks up, and there are four men in her car backing out of the parking spot where she left the car. And she does what every recently widowed middle-aged woman would do. She drops her groceries. She reaches into her bag and she pulls out the 38 special that her husband left her. She's been trained. And she takes that thing out and she goes, get out of my car. Get out of my car. And these four men, it's hilarious. I mean, if you think about it, if you're not having a gun pointed at you, you think about it. It's pretty hilarious. They, they jump out. They don't, put it, they don't stop it and put it in a park. They just bail and they run. And the car just continues to float back and it bumps into the bumper of another car. Well, after she calms down and the security comes out and all the people from around the, around the um, parking lot are just, are you okay? She finally, I got to move my car because these other people are going to want to move their car. She gets in her car and there's keys in it. She takes those keys out, puts her key in, it doesn't fit. Her car was four spaces down in the same row. I know. Now, that's not the end of the story. 
she goes, she goes home and calms down. And after, you know, she'd given her statement, but, but no one was hurt. So, you know, no one knew what to do. So she goes home, she gets rid of her groceries and she drives over to the police station. She had to find out what precinct and everything. And she walks into the desk sergeant and she goes, I'm, I, uh, I, 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 I carjacked. Um, four men, and uh, here's why. I just want you to know that I was trying to protect my life and my property, and, and, and the guy starts laughing at her. She goes, I don't understand. I don't think you're taking this seriously. I, there's four men somewhere out there that I, they thought I was holding them up and stealing their car. And he goes, no, 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 you don't understand. Look, and there's four men sitting with a detective giving a statement about being carjacked by a middle-aged woman who was having grocery bags in her hand. <laughs> so I have no idea if it's true. I hope it is. <laughs> Um, hilarious story, but she, she got it and she did what she thought was right. She protected herself and property. Now I would hope me, if, if I'm in a situation like that and I have a handgun, um, with me that, that I'll see that and I'll go, you know what? <laughs> Take the car. In fact, I'd probably do better with insurance than if I sold it. So have it. That's what I would hope. I, we've had a car stolen out of our garage. Um, uh, so I hope, but again, she did what she thought was right. She, summed, she sized up the situation, she responded, and she got it so wrong. And so often we get it so wrong. We think we've got it. We think we can size people up. We think we size up situations. And so often we get it wrong. So I'm just asking you to keep that story in mind. I might throw in a, a callback every now and then by just saying, get out of my car, and you'll know what I'm saying. But we often... As Christians especially, we often think we've got it figured out, and we don't. And there's story after story after story after story in Scripture that tells us that the disciples, that King Saul, that King David, that, that Moses, they didn't have it figured out. They got it, but they didn't get it. They saw it, but they didn't see. So let me start with this passage from Luke 6, and you'll kind of get an idea where we're headed. Do not judge... And you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And we talked about that a few months ago, that measure that people would, it's like a weight on a scale, and people would, would either, what they would do is they would, they would buy a product from someone, but they would steal from the people they're buying from. <laughs> By, by changing, they would say this, they didn't use pounds, but they would say this is a pound, or, and, and they, they throw off the weight so they're actually getting more grain for less money if they're selling grain. So Jesus is very clear here, and he says, don't condemn, and you won't be condemned. But in other words, if you condemn, you'll be condemned. If you judge, you'll be, you'll be judged. You'll be judged with the same measure you use. So take that and walk to this, um, this core value of ours called faith is a journey. And it reads like this. Well, there are examples of conversions like Paul, all at once a life has changed. We believe that faith is a journey. We will stumble, grow, misunderstand, fail, and succeed. Sometimes we'll be faithful, and sometimes we'll falter. But all of these experiences are used by God to make us more authentic, reproducing, transformed, and selfless. No one is a good Christian. We are simply a Christian or not, and God is working to complete the good work that he's already begun in us. Paul tells us in Philippians 1.6, I am confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion. Now, we're good at this. It's faith is a journey. We get this. We get, I'm, you know, the more I know, the more I know I don't know. 
When I was young and I became a Christian at 15 years old in 1981, I, I thought, man, if I could only get to this spot, if I could only get to this spot, if I could only get to this spot. And then when you get there, you go, oh, there's so much further. It's just, it, ouch, it's hard. I had a friend, Ty Hogue. He's a, um, a commissioned pastor over at Overisel Church. There was one day we were serving in a church together and, and uh, he walks, I see him in the hallway and I go, Ty, are you okay? And he's a big guy. He's, he's, he's bigger than I am. And, and he looks at me with a tear in his eye, no kidding. And he just goes, I just wish it could be easier. I just wish it could be easier. Faith is hard. The journey of faith is hard. And if you'll notice in our description there, we have that we will stumble, grow, misunderstand, fail, and succeed. So there's two positives and the others are negative. So let me ask you this question. When you look back in your life, the events that changed you, were they events when you did it right, it worked out well, and you got credit for it? Or they, are they the events when you tried hard, you missed the mark, you learned something, it was hard, but it changed you? See, most of the time, most of our experiences, we all think that everyone else's life just kind of works well and everything goes well for them and they've got it all figured out. In reality, almost all of us, our experiences that teach us something, that grow us in new ways, are experiences where we miss it. Where we, where we fail, where we stumble, where we get it, but we don't get it, where we see, but we don't see. And here's the thing, I, I trust that God is working in me, but it's really hard to trust that God is working in someone else. I mean, and, and I've, look, I've lived around this area for a long time. I believe, I'm trying to, still trying to figure out what year it was, but I want to say 1972 or 73. I've lived in, in Grand Rapids. Um, I like to think of myself as a Southern boy, but in reality, I am USDA Midwestern beef. You know, even, even when we, we lived somewhere else, not in West Michigan, I lived somewhere else for, for three years, it was suburban Chicago. So really, I, I've lived in this area. I know what we think. I know what we see. I know how we behave. I know what's appropriate and what's inappropriate. And, and sometimes you want to push the envelope here and there. And I'm not saying that, that I'm one of you because I'm not Dutch, so I don't count. I got that. But if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. I know. But I've lived it. And we have a way of sizing people up pretty quickly around here. And I'm not, I'm not pointing at you. I'm just saying in our culture, if you had something that you're struggling with, if you and your spouse are having trouble, or if, if you as a student are, are doing things that you don't want your parents to hear, you're not going to come and tell someone else in church because you're afraid of what? Word will get around, Right? You're afraid of the, the rumor mill or the, the, the little, uh, the, the, the grapevine. You're, you're, we're, we're afraid of being found out or we're afraid that other people will see us and remember what we've done and not what God is doing. And we have ways in, to do this in church. No one's going to gossip. I mean, you're not going to go tell something about someone that you aren't sure is true, but you might lean over and go, I have a prayer concern to share with you. See, we, we figure out spiritual ways of doing the very thing that we're not supposed to do. And if you want to really trigger me, there are three things that I can't stand. One of them is kind of a joke. But one, I had a boss who was very manipulative years and years ago, and he used to say this to me. You know what you need to do? Doesn't that sound nice? It sounds like a question, right? But really, it's an order. So if, you don't, if you're like, I don't think I need to do that, and you don't do it, then you're in trouble. It's just so, you know what you need to do. So if you really want to bother me, come up and tell me. Put your hand on my shoulder. You know what you need to do? You need to slow down when you're preaching. The other one, this is the joke. Um, Just tell me that all you want to do is make a difference. 
asthma makes a difference. <laughs> Sorry, but it's true. And the other thing is this. Tell me, you know, come up and, and put your arm in and say, you know, my daughter, he's, she's dating this new guy. He's such a good Christian. That's the rolling up the window. Move. I, it's, a Christian is someone who is what? Forgiven, redeemed, restored. So if I'm a good Christian, that means I'm good at being forgiven. I'm good at being bought back. I'm good at being restored to God. So if I'm good at those things, that means I'm doing so many of them that there's a greater need to learn how to receive the forgiveness that God offers me. So if I'm a good Christian, I'm a really bad person. But we do this. We size people up. We decide that we know we've got to figure it out. Get out of the car. We think we got it. And we don't. And the very thing that we do in spiritual terms is condemn and judge. And God is very clear. Do not condemn and, or you will be condemned. Do not judge or you will be judged. If you do not condemn, you will not be condemned. If you do not judge, you will not be judged. This faith is a journey thing. We get it for us. I trust God's work in me. Even when I was in college, when I went off to college, I was a follower of Christ when I went. But somehow, someway, I convinced myself that I'm going to find out how everybody else is trying to live. I'm going to decide that other people know better than God does, and I'm just going to go along with what is expected when you go to college. Well, you know, I'm in college. I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to act this way. I'm supposed to, to sow my oats. I'm supposed to do this and this. And, you know, I'm still, I'm 51 years old. I'm still trying to erase those memories out of my life. But I allowed myself, I knew that God hadn't given up on me, and I hadn't really given up on him. I was just taking a pause, taking a break for about a year and a half. And, okay, I saw God's work in that. But when my daughter in 2010 went off to college, I asked myself, I wonder, oh, she's going to be, wait a minute. That's what my mom thought when I went off to college. So it was much easier for me to see God and, and trust God's work in me and that he wasn't done with me, that along the way he was going to change me, than it was to look at my daughter and believe that God is going to be faithful to her and he's not going to give up on her no matter what decision she makes, doesn't make, things she does, doesn't do, things that she does that she doesn't want me to know. See, it's easy to trust God in me, but if he's trustworthy to work his way in my life, then he's trustworthy. So if God is trustworthy, then he's worthy of my trust in the life of another. So if I condemn, or if I judge, or if I size up, or if I, if I decide, well, they are sinning out loud, and that's way different than sinning in private, right? So I'm gonna, I, you know, if you see someone messing up pretty bad as a follower of Christ, there's two things you don't know. You don't know how hard they resisted the temptation put before them. And you have no idea the army that the, that the enemy, the, the, all the, all, you have no idea what tools the enemy put in place to try to make that person so miserable that they give in to that temptation. Get out of my car. It's not your car. So let me read this passage from Luke chapter 24. This is the resurrection day. Jesus just come back from the dead. Only a couple people know it. Two of them, so they're not one of the 11 disciples. There used to be 12, but Judas has hanged himself. Jesus just resurrected. Two of them, the, the, not the inner, inner circle, not the 11 or 12, but the people that, when Jesus was out on the boat with his disciples, but we heard that there were three boats, 
The guys that we're talking about here were in one of the other three, one of the other boats. So they see everything. They've, they've had conversations with Jesus. They've seen, they've seen him sweat blood. They, they, they've seen his crucifixion. They, they know everything that we know. They've had flesh-to-flesh, face-to-face, word-to-word contact with the Savior for about three years. He's dead. We know he's risen. They want to believe it, but they don't get it. Now, on the same day, two of them were going, along, uh, going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, seven miles, not that far, but they're not driving. They're walking in sandals. It's pretty hilly. Seven miles is going to take you a little while. It's an afternoon. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they, uh, everything that had happened, and as they talked and discussed these things uh, with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Now, I have no idea about the resurrected, glorified body. I mean, does Jesus still have skin? Yes. Still has scars? Yes. But he was able to walk into a room when they were, when they were in the, remember when Thomas wasn't there and Jesus shows, he, there was a locked door and he shows up. And when Thomas was, there was a locked door, he shows up. How he can do that, I don't know. But he's God, resurrected. So he's human. This is what we're going to be like. So somehow, some way, he's, he's keeping them from recognizing him, whether it's he's changed his physical, his physical appearance or he's, he's allowed them to remain unable to understand what's going on. He's done this before. When he, the time when the storm was up and the disciples were on the boat and Jesus came walking to them on the water, but the waves were there. They couldn't see him clearly and they thought he was a ghost. I can just see Jesus going behind a wave. It's not unlike him to... Allow them to misunderstand so that when he does open their eyes, they see clearly. So he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still. They're walking, they stop. The face is downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? Now, sidebar, little bitty thing, Cleopas don't think we hear about him elsewhere in Scripture, but there's Cleopas, right? You think later, because when they find out, and you'll see how this unravels, you think later he's like, I rebuked Jesus. I mean, like, where have you been? Have you not seen anything? Are you, are you a guy? I said that to Jesus. I mean, you got to think, you got to think that later on he's like, and I ended up in the Bible with this? This is me in the Bible. The guy who told Jesus he doesn't get it. About Jesus of Nazareth, uh, or is he, he, have you not heard these things? And Jesus goes, what things? And then they present the gospel about Jesus of Nazareth. They replied, he was a prophet, powerful in, the wor- in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more... It's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came, they came and told, uh, told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And then some of our companions, they went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but, they didn't, but him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, he rebukes them back, how foolish you are. And how slow of heart to believe all what the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them 
what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going to go on further. But they, argue, or they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So they went, so, so he went in to stay with them. And he was at the table, I want you to listen to these words, because it, it should sound very familiar considering we had communion last week. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked, to, talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Then they got up and they returned to Jerusalem and they told everyone about their experience. So here's three people, or two people, then Jesus, that get it, that have seen it, that, that as, as we were hearing about earlier, being, they, they've actually seen Jesus with skin on. They get it, but they don't get it. They saw, but they didn't see. When did they see? When Jesus decided they should. When he sat down in an intimate conversation with them and supped with them, he broke bread, he took bread, he broke it, or he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he handed it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and where it happened to Jesus once they understood who he was? He's gone. They get it, but they didn't get it. When they did understand, when their eyes were opened, which we pray almost every sermon, Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see that which you want us to hear and to see. They got it when he decided to reveal it. So, think back on those difficult times. When did you get it? Did you get it because it hurt so bad? Or did you get it because you clung to the hope you profess? Because you believe that the one who, who gave it to you is, is, is faithful? See, when you had your understanding, when you had your illumination, when your eyes were opened, it was the day, the moment, the second that Jesus said, now I want you to see. Now, if God's done that in you, isn't it likely to believe that God will do that in others. If God's done that with Cleopas and his companion, isn't it right to assume that God continues to work in the same way that he has? There is not a Bible character that I know of other than Jesus that hasn't first been a failure and then something significant. Moses killed a guy in Egypt and escaped and wandered the desert. And then God came to him and he said, let my people go. And Moses was a stammerer. And so he, I, I can't, I'm not the kind of guy. And so I'll send Aaron with you. And then he, he has to take on the God of the world, the Pharaoh. And then he, just going down that Saul, the one who was given all kinds of, oh, oh, oh he's king. He messes it up. David, David's the one. He came from nothing. He was a shepherd boy, and he ends up being king. But then he had, his, he had, a, he had the, the woman that he had an affair with, he had her husband murdered so that he could be with her. He's a man after God's own heart. Saul in the New Testament, who became Paul, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He's the one that says that, that I'm confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. No one would question Paul. But Paul used to go from village to village. He got from the, from the main synagogue, from the temple, he got papers that allowed him to go from city to city all around the known world and asking local uh, synagogue rulers, leaders, you have any of those 
Christians, that cult of Judaism? Because I'm going to kill them. And I have permission. If we don't kill them here, I'll take them back. We'll try them and then we'll throw rocks at them until they're dead. We'll hand them over to the Romans to be crucified. This is Saul who becomes Paul. And one day he's walking on another road, not to Emmaus, but to Damascus. And the Lord himself appears to him. Why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you? And he has this conversion experience. And we like to say that his life was changed all at once. No, it wasn't. Was he converted at one moment? Absolutely. But then God has to call on a guy named Ananias. Uh, He blinded Saul and he sent him off somewhere else. And he calls this other guy Ananias, not the one killed in in Acts 5, because this is in Acts 9, I believe. And so guy would be dead. Um, And God sends Ananias to go and minister to Paul. And Ananias is like, you talking about the guy who kills us? No, go. 13 years later is when Paul started preaching in the known world to the Gentiles. 13 years Even Paul, his faith was a journey. God does what God does. He uses unexpected people to do impossible things in seemingly ridiculous ways. I am always afraid of someone showing up here at church that I went to college with or that I went to high school with. Because they're going to remember who I was and not see what God might have been doing for the last 25 or 35 years. So to put it back on you, this is a core value. If God has forgiven you and God has redeemed you and God has restored you and you want to cooperate and be a part of God-sized work, Don't you think that we should listen to what Jesus says? That it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Don't condemn and you won't be condemned. So then instead of looking at someone and sizing him up and going, we look at them and size them up and go, I wonder what God's already begun in them that he's going to carry it on to completion. See, if God's a God of grace, then Christians should be people of grace. And instead of judging people that behave a little bit differently than we do. Honestly, how can we ask someone who doesn't follow the God that we know to behave as if they knew him? We can't. But we can, we can behave as if we know him and they'll see it. They will see our good works and praise our Father in heaven. Scripture, not me. So along the way, if God's faithful to you, by working in you, he will be faithful to others by working in them. Our job is to see what God is doing, come alongside and be a part of it. Because we want for them what we have for ourselves. Hope, salvation, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Let us be a people who looks at others and says, I can't wait to see what God is going to complete in you. Let's pray. Lord, I know it's a little late. But we have a great song to sing. So Lord, join us in worship. Let these words sit on people's hearts. Convict them where they need convicting. Comfort them where they need comfort. 
and remind them where they need reminding. Pray this in the name of Jesus, through your spirit, for your glory. Amen. You are God's workmanship. You're his masterpiece. You're his poem, his opus. But so is the person next to you. He made a beautiful thing in you, and he made a beautiful thing in all the other people. Let us be a people who tries to pull that out of them and pull them into Christ instead of telling them how, how they're getting it all wrong. Doesn't mean that there's not a, some level of accountability. We are to call each other to give an account. But out of love and out of grace and mercy, just like God treats us, we are to treat others. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you. That's that's God's face. That's a look at God smile at you and at your neighbor and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.